super excited for this episode of In My Network. Today I'm joined by Hillel Fole. That name might say enough. If you know, you know, but in the case that you don't, Hillel is an American-Israeli technology blogger, blogger, business advisor, and international speaker. Now also a TV host for that matter. A very interesting guy to say the least, but let's go ahead and get into the show. So Hillel, thank you so much for accepting my invitation to be on In My Network. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you for that nice introduction. Uh, I'm good. Yeah. Let's, let's rock and roll. Awesome. I'm so excited to have you with us. And I'm going to go ahead and just get into it because you've done so much. And I just have to know, like, where did this all start? Where did your career start? So I'm from New York originally, came to Israel when I was 15 with my family. Um, and this really all started the first time I turned on a computer when I was a kid. Um, the second I hit power, it kind of blew my mind. And I was like, all right, clearly I need to be doing something with technology in my life. Um, and I, so I came to Israel high school, you know, did the military college. I studied political science, clearly nothing to do with what I do for a living. And my first job was at a company called Converse with an M, not the sneakers company. Um, and it was, I was a technical writer, um, which I don't know if your audience knows what that is, but it's the guys who write the user guides you get with your iPhone that no one ever reads. So that was a lot of fun. Um, I don't know if you picked up on that sarcasm, but anyway, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm at this first job bored out of my mind and I'm just like, this is not what I should be doing with my time. And I just opened the internet and started to write. I, I, I didn't call it a blog because that wasn't a thing. Um, I didn't have a business model. I literally just love technology and started writing about it. And then within about, I don't know, three, four months, entrepreneurs started to reach out to me and say, I read your article, love to meet you. And I'm like, all right, I'm not sure why you want to meet me, but let's do it. So I'd meet with these, these CEOs and these entrepreneurs and I'd say to them, so, uh, so what, what do you do? Pitch me. And their answer always began with those dreadful, dreadful words. We've developed an algorithm. And I'm like, all right, stop. I don't care about your algorithm. I didn't ask you what you built. I asked you what you do. Explain to me what you do. And these brilliant minds who are building you know, remarkable technology could not communicate. So I just helped them with their pitch. And then I'd say to them, who are your competitors? And they'd say, we have none. And I'm like, you're a fool. Like, of course you have competitors, right? I tell them what their competitors are. And then I'd say, and what's your go-to-market? And they'd say, an article on TechCrunch. And I'm like, all right, dude. So I, I just tried to help. There was no business here. I had a job. This is really just for fun. And basically, long story short, many of these companies came back to me sometimes a decade later and said, you know, we know what you did for us early on. You really helped us. And, you know, now we're a big company. And we want to work with you. So what are your terms? And at that point, I have the leverage, right? They're coming to me. They need me more than I need them. And so I built this portfolio of companies that I work with as an advisor. Uh, for simplification's sake, it's basically a venture capital firm without capital, right? I don't invest capital, but I have this, this portfolio of companies and I work with them on growth, meaning anything from PR, social media, content, business development, fundraising, whatever their needs are. Um, and yeah, that's how it all started. And I'm basically a kid in a candy store every day. Wow. First of all, that sounds so exciting. I mean, to just have all that thrill every day and be learning new things with awesome people. So you're kind of just, I mean, the guy behind the scenes making things actually seem interesting uh, for the people that might not understand what these companies actually do. So thank you for that, because I'm one of those people most of the time. But I have to kind of bring it back. What, what was it in your childhood that led you to having all that confidence and like being the Hillel that you are today? Because I mean, it's pretty ballsy to just be like, Tell me what you do, do this, do that to these super intelligent people and just kind of tell them how it is. Right. So first of all, 
that is the officially the first time in my life that anyone has ever called me the behind the scenes guy. I'm so not behind the scenes. Like I'm the guy who makes all the noise. But anyway, um, no, I mean, you know, I don't know if it was anything in my childhood, but you know, listen, I did grow up, um, you know, with a strong, I guess, sense of confidence and education. My parents are both very well-respected educators. Um, they were in the States and, um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess I was just taught, I don't know about confidence, but self-awareness, let's call it. If you're good at something, then own it. Don't shy away from it. And I think today um, people often confuse self-confidence slash self-awareness with ego or being conceited. Um, and I don't, I don't obviously agree with that. If you're good at something, then own it. So I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, I mean, if I, if, you know, I always love technology. If I had this passion, I said to myself, I might as well do something with it. And one thing led to another. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And first of all, I meant kind of the, you know, the brain behind it, not the behind the scenes guy. Um, but with that too, like, okay, so you come and you help these companies kind of make things clear and push and do all that. But before that, like you said, you would write and you had uh, a degree in political science. Uh, what was it that made you feel like I can tell them what they need to be doing? Do you feel like you just knew it yourself? Or because they trusted you and it worked out like the first few times you were like, okay, I can do this. It's a good question. Um, yeah, I'd say two answers. First of for starters, this, this uh, technical writing thing that I was doing while I make fun of it and I joke around about it. At the end of the day, a technical writer needs to speak to an engineer, right? Um, we called an SME, a subject matter expert, and take that engineer's words, which are obviously extremely technical and hard to understand and simplify it to the point of from the menu, click open, like, you know, and you have to really like dumb it down, which is what a blogger does, right? Uh, you know, I write about technology, but any, anybody can understand it. So that, that gave me confidence. Um, but I think that's also a cultural thing. And I often joke about this, but it's actually not a joke. Um, I think the difference between sales and marketing, the fundamental difference between sales and marketing is one word that does not exist in Hebrew. The word is subtlety, right? Marketing is subtle. Sales is not. Um, you know, if you're a good salesman, the person you're selling to knows you're selling to them, knows they're being sold to. If you're a good marketeer, then the person you're marketing to doesn't even realize they're being marketed to. Um, and I think there's a reason that that word does not exist in Hebrew. It's because we're not very subtle people in Israel. Whereas, you know, I think culturally speaking, obviously, I'm not saying all Americans are subtle, but I think culturally speaking, as an American, I'm just a little bit more refined, subtle, whatever you want to call it than most Israelis. And so when I, when I would sit with these guys and ask them about their pitch and they were talking about their algorithm, it was clear to me that I needed to like, you know, go back to the drawing board, right. And, and explain to them not what they built or, you know, about their cutting edge technology. I, I care about what value you bring to this world. Tell me why I care. That's the only question that you need to answer. Why do I care? Um, and so I, you know, I, I didn't study it. I never studied marketing, obviously. Maybe I guess it was just intuitive to me, culturally speaking. I don't know. Hmm. Wow. I mean, it's it's something that it's. I guess when you just feel something and you feel like it's the right place for you, then it works. Sometimes, even if you don't have, you know, the actual technical education background to uh, to be the person for the job, you just end up being the person for the job. But being in Israel, I know you spent a lot of time in Tel Aviv in the whole tech hub. Um, you're an outright religious Jew. You don't hide that in any manner, shape, or form. And I love that. And I'm sure you mix with so many people that are not necessarily fond on religion or with that. Do you ever feel like that kind of gets in the way of connections you make? People kind of downplay you or 
anything great question time. great question so not only is it not an obstacle but it's actually uh one of my i'd say differentiating advantages so i'll just give you a, a cool story and then i'll explain what i mean um i was in silicon valley about i don't know seven eight years ago meeting with a guy named bradley horowitz who's a senior vice president of google he reports straight to the ceo of google very 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 senior guy um and it was it was a social meeting it wasn't like a business meeting which you know I think we actually met on Google Plus, uh, rest in peace. Anyway, so um, I walk into his office and the guy has a massive platter of sushi. And I'm like, what is this? And he's like, I know you're strictly kosher and there's no kosher food in Silicon Valley. So I ordered you sushi from outside of Silicon Valley. I was like, oh my God, this is a senior vice president of Google and he cares that much. And so that was just an example, but I get messages, I don't know about a daily basis, but at least on a weekly basis from people who see my religious posts about signing off for Shabbat or whatever it may be. And they say, listen, you know, I literally got a post. I got a message from someone in, in Los Angeles who says to me, she goes, we're unaffiliated Jews. We've never kept Shabbat or anything like that. This weekend was our first Shabbat, thanks to your posts. And we all cried. And it was just the most unbelievable experience of my life. I got another message on Instagram from a woman who says, I have not lit Shabbos candles, Shabbat candles in 40 years. And I started because of your post. So, you know, I think going back to what we said in the beginning, when when you're it's part of your identity, you have two choices. You can either own it or you can like shy away from it. And so I decided to own it. And I think people respect that. When you are not, you know, I guess not ashamed, but when you don't try to hide your identity, people respect you for it. That makes total sense. And I, I love that. I think it's powerful and I think it's so important to, like you said, own it. And I mean, as a religious person myself, I can say I know that religion helps me and it helps me just be more, more me. I mean, I couldn't be myself if I wasn't sharing that part of me. So I definitely love that. And Hillel, you've been in Israel for quite a while now. I know Israel has always kind of been in the tech scene. It was ages ago, it was kind of behind the scenes. No one really knew, maybe some of the big people knew, but the average Joe didn't know. When did Israel really start getting all this recognition when it comes to tech? Because now I see like on LinkedIn, Companies are getting smarter with their marketing, with the way they're addressing their crowd. When when did that actually happen? I mean, it started a long time ago. I think, you know, Startup Nation, the book, um, was published when we were already a startup nation. Um, you know, the venture world started decades ago, venture capital world in Israel. So I don't know. I can't point to an exact time. What I can say, though, is that um, traditionally speaking, Israel was very, very strong at cyber because of the military. Um, and maybe one or two other sectors, but you know, most sectors of technology, we were just too small to make a difference. And that has changed drastically. Today, um, you'd have a hard time finding any sector of technology in which Israel is not a dominant or a significant player, meaning we're not, we're not number one in everything, but we're up there in the top five in everything. Um, and so you know, I often say that we were graduating out of Startup Nation. Startup Nation, you know, traditionally Israeli companies would build a venture, you know, they had an idea, they build a startup and they'd sell it, you know, obvious example is Waze. Um, and that kind of gave us a bad name in Silicon Valley because we didn't let companies mature. You know, you can be sure that Google and Facebook, I mean, we know that Google and Facebook got offers early on to sell sometimes for billions of dollars and they didn't take it because they wanted to, you know, grow the company. And so we traditionally were pretty weak at that, but that's changed. And this year actually was the first time ever that Israeli IPOs surpassed Israeli exits which means that companies are looking to go public and not just to sell. So, you know, call it whatever you want, call it scale up nation, call it unicorn nation, whatever you want to call it. Israel is going through a transition away from startup nation. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I think too, when I think about it, sometimes I say, you know, I know that a lot of American companies have great uh, kind of outreach on LinkedIn, the way they post and the way they do certain things. And I was thinking to myself too, I mean, so many people are making Aliyah now to Israel for people who don't know what that means. It means immigrating to Israel. Um, and I thought to myself, it could be that just having this flow of people coming in with kind of a different out view and being used to that American outreach could have been the thing that changed the way that Israeli companies are kind of expressing themselves and, and marketing themselves. Interesting, interesting point. I don't think I've ever heard that before. Meaning the uh, the wave of people coming to Israel from, let's say, the states or other things uh, has a direct impact on our marketing on companies' marketing. That's it's a very interesting point of view. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, listen, Israel uh, has definitely gotten way better at marketing than we were when I started, but I'm not sure we're there yet. In other words, at the end of the day, if you look at most successful Israeli companies. They have the R&D, the research and development here in Israel, but they usually open sales and marketing in the U.S. Um, so I don't, I don't think we're there yet. And I think not that this is the only cause, but I think an, an interesting way to maybe measure uh, this ecosystem in terms of comparing it to Silicon Valley is when will Israel build the first trillion dollar company? Meaning, you know, how, there are many companies in Silicon Valley already that are valued at over a trillion dollars. Not many, but, mm -hmm. you know, Microsoft, Tesla, Google, Apple, my, you know, so many. I don't know, let's say five, six, seven. Israel, I mean, we're far from that. I think, you know, the, the most valuable Israeli company, I don't know, whatever, Checkpoint or one of these, you know, 20, 30 billion dollars. We're not even talking, you know, hundreds of billions. So we're not there yet. We've, we still have a lot of work to do, but I think, you know, the, the, if you look at the, the, the actual data, we're definitely moving in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, I see it myself. I, I think that Israel is, is growing at a crazy rate and I'm excited to see what happens next. But I want to ask you more about that. Where do you kind of see the future of tech? Like in the next five years, what do you see kind of taking over? So um, first of all, I just want to say that, you know, while we're painting a very uh, optimistic picture of Israel, you know, we do have challenges, right? There's there's a serious, serious lack of talent. We just don't have enough engineers in this country. And mm -hmm. so it's going to hit the fan eventually. It's already starting to hit the fan because companies like Amazon and Facebook are paying engineers ludicrous salaries because they want them to come to them versus startups. And so startups mm -hmm. are going to have a real problem. Um, but in terms of what I expect to see over the next five to 10 years in technology, um, I think, you know, if you look at the last 10 years, and you see how drastically our world changed. Take take the cell phone, for example, right? I mean, you know, I'm sure you remember. I remember when people said, like, why do I need a cell phone? I don't want people reaching me all the time, you know, let alone why do I need a camera on a cell phone? This was not even that long ago, right? And now we're, like, literally completely dependent on cell phones. So, you know, if we look at Moore's Law, right, which is that things, you know, are moving faster all the time, for over the next 10 years, we're going mean, to – we won't even recognize our world the way it is now. I think um, – two areas that I like to talk about in terms of what I'm most excited about. And I think um, that will completely fundamentally change over the next 10 years um, are um, transportation and drones, even though I guess you could say drones is transportation, but you know, I, I was this morning, I tweeted an article. Um, I don't even remember which um, menu. Oh, it was, it was uh, Google's self-driving project. Uh, and they literally are designing a car without a steering wheel. And this is not like a dream or a fantasy. This is actually going to happen. And so you know, Israel's right now passing laws to have completely autonomous cars, cars on the road. I drive a Volvo, which is semi-autonomous. I drive to Tel Aviv without touching the steering wheel or the, the gas or anything. Um, it doesn't like switch lanes, obviously, and I can't like, you know, get off the highway. But, 
you know, if I'm driving straight on the Ayalon, I don't touch my steering wheel. Um, and so I think that that's going to fundamentally change. We're, we're just not going to, we're not going to be driving the way we are today. That's the first thing. Um, and the second thing, drones. I think, you know, if you want to know what technology illustrates best how far we've come, I think drones illustrates that better than anything because you're talking about a device that fits in your hand that you can buy at any store and it flies five, seven, 10 miles and records in 4K with 19 GPS satellites connected to it from space at any given moment. Like it's crazy technology. And so, you know, I think over the next five to 10 years, we're going to be using drones much, much more in kind of mainstream day-to-day life, whether it's deliveries or other things. Um, And so I expect that to penetrate our lives. And a third thing that I didn't mention is human computer interaction, the way we interact with our computers today, the fact that we're using a mouse in 2021 is ridiculous. Like a mouse and, you know, even, even mobile phones, which were like, oh, it's so, you know, it's a supercomputer in your pocket. If you think about it, like you're walking around with a slab of glass in your face, like it's ridiculous. There's got to be a better way. And so every single large tech company without exception is building glasses, right? Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, Samsung, everyone's building glasses. Now, you know, is glasses the right form factor? Is that how we're going to interact with our computers? I'm not sure, but I can I can promise you that in 10 years from now, we will not be clicking a mouse. Um, again, it could be controlled with our brains. It could be controlled with our eyes. It could be controlled. I don't know, but we will not be interacting with our computers the way we are today. Wow. I mean, I think of these things and I'm like, okay, a mouse, what could, you know, change out a mouse, but... I think I saw one of your LinkedIn posts too, that you had things hooked up to your head and, you know, you were yeah. using the computer through your thoughts, which is, I mean, it's yeah. absolutely insane that people are actually building yeah. these kinds of things. And this could be our reality in the near future. Um, crazy. It blows my mind, but if, you, if Elon know. Musk has his way, then, then this is happening very soon. Yeah. It's, I, I mean, I just, I can't really imagine it for myself as kind of technology advanced. I feel like I am and I'm totally not because these things are like surreal to me to even think that that that's what my kids will be doing. And that's the experience that they'll have. And they'll look at an iPhone and be like, what the hell is this? <laughs> it's, sure. uh, it's crazy. Um, I want to ask you though, Hillel, I know you have kids of your own and I know you're super into this tech world. What, what does that look like for your kids? Like, are they, do you teach them about all this stuff? Are you preparing them for this like world of opportunity? Um, are they even interested in it? I'm, I'm really curious to know. It's interesting. No one's ever asked me that before. It's a very interesting question. So uh, my kids definitely benefit from my career. Uh, for starters, you know, every one of my kids has like the top smartphone because Samsung sent me the Galaxy Fold and, you know, Apple sent me products in the past and, you know, uh, Google sent me the Pixel. So like every one of my kids has like the best phones. Um, And I'm trying to figure out how to say this diplomatically. Because I have a lot of followers, I get things from companies, perks and whatever it is. My kids love that. Um, And yeah, my kids always talk about tech. Um, I, you know, my youngest are twins, they're 10. And you know, when I I put them to like, when I lie down and chill with them at night or whatever it is, they're always like, like, tell me about your job. Like what, what is like, is it, are you advertising? Like what's, they're very interested in it. So I'm pretty sure my kids are going to be huge geeks when they grow up. Awesome. I mean, they'll be the next uh, influencers. That's a job nowadays. So, yeah. you know, you started it and they'll, they'll carry on the legacy. It's awesome. Um, you've always really been a big vocal supporter of Israel. And I feel like within the last few years, even more so, I know that you're a religious guy, so it makes sense. Love Israel, but you know, tech is something different there. What really did something change? Did something pivot that 
what makes you so into supporting Israel and, and companies here and tech here, just the country in general? Um, well, for starters, I, I grew up with like Zionism in my veins, like my, like my parents. It's a long story, but bottom line is my father was a principal of a school and in his contract, he, he had to stay for a certain amount of time. When that time ended, like the day we were on a plane to Israel. Um, so we, I grew up with it, number one. Number two, um, I think, you know, the, the, the best startup in history is the state of Israel. Like, uh, none of this makes any sense. Like this tiny little country, 9 million people is number three on NASDAQ in terms of how many public companies we have. So it's just objectively amazing. Um, and the third reason not to get too heavy and uh, ruin your podcast, but I don't know if you know the story about my brother. You know the story about my brother? So my brother, those that don't know, um, my brother was uh, tragically murdered in a terrorist attack three and a half years ago. And he was a very, very, very outspoken supporter of Israel. And, you know, he, he worked in that space um, in advocacy. And so I guess maybe subconsciously, I kind of feel like I have to fill those shoes and continue his work. You know, when he was alive, like he he literally worked in advocacy and I worked in tech, but we both used social media to promote Israel. So it was like in parallel worlds. Mm -hmm. Um and so, yeah, I mean, again, I, I, this isn't like a conscious decision, but maybe subconsciously, I feel like I need a continuous work. Don't know. Yeah, it's, it's powerful. And I think it's so important that we, we have advocates like yourself, like your brother was, that really push for Israel. There's so much going on and so many misconceptions that it's nice to have people to kind of clear the air and bring out all the good I like that how, happens. I like how you call blatant lies misconceptions, very diplomatic. Blatant lies, I mean, that's for sure. But, uh, you know, there's some people that are really lack knowledge. They just don't know. They grow up in a world that they're told certain things and they just believe it, which yeah, is, is yeah. bad, but someone needs to make it clear for them. So this was really awesome. And I love speaking to you. It was, it's been amazing to just kind of have a few minutes of your time. And I want people to be able to keep up with you. I know I do on LinkedIn because I don't have other social media. I know that you have your site, but where can people really follow you in the best way and get like all these juicy little things that you hear about and updates? I mean, I, I guess Facebook is my most active social platform, I guess. Um, obviously, you know, I'm on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube, Twitter. Maybe Twitter is my most active. I don't even know, but the bottom line is hillofold.com and that's has all my information. And um, if anybody kind of has cool tech that they want me to see, ping me on any platform. I'm uh, a pretty, pretty crazy with my uh, response time because I'm obsessed with inbox zero. So when someone emails me, I, I want to get out of my inbox. So I respond immediately uh, for better or for worse. So if anybody you know wants to connect, feel free and uh, you will get a response immediately. Awesome. People use that to your advantage. Hillel has so much to offer. And I have one last question that I have to ask. It's kind of the question I decided I'd, I'd be asking on this podcast, and it's a random one too. But if I could grant you one wish, what would it be? Wow. Ooh, and I'm not allowed to ask for more wishes, right? <laughs> no, it's just the <laughs> one wish. I'm not a genie. Um, if you could give me one wish. I mean, I don't want to get all religious on you. I'm not going to talk about like Mashiach or stuff like that, but um, if I could have one wish. Yeah, I mean, on a personal level, honestly, and I, I don't know if this is the right answer, but on a personal level, um, my biggest challenge is resilience, meaning, you know, the more visibility I get on the internet, the more haters there are, and I should be able to like just brush them off and ignore them. Unfortunately, for, again, for better or for worse, I think it's, a, I don't think it's a good thing. I, it's, it, this stuff gets to me. Like when people, you know, spread rumors about me or when people, 
you know, I, I'll give you just one example. A couple of weeks ago, I was judging a hackathon in an ultra-Orthodox institution, uh, and they have separate events for men and for women because they're ultra-Orthodox. And this is an institution that trains 20% of the country's female engineers. So, like, there's nothing chauvinist about them. And so I was judging um, a hackathon, and I posted a picture of the judges, and they were all male. And again, they have the same event for women. Um, I posted it on LinkedIn. I can't even describe to you. Like I had to unfollow my own post because I was getting hammered by feminists who are just like, why are there no women on the panel? I'm like, guys, they, like calm down. Like I'm, let me explain to you. They have the same, like they wouldn't even hear it. And so it was really getting to me. Like I was started to answer people and I was like, there's no end to this. It's just going to continue. So I just had to unfollow the, my own post. But the bottom line is like, if I had one wish, at least on a professional level, I wish for thicker skin. I love it. It's a good one. It's a good one. And you have to have it, I guess, you know, like you said, with yeah. the success comes the haters and you just kind of have to ignore it and move on. There's tons of yeah. people that appreciate you and, and love your content. So Hillel, thank you again for taking part in this with me. It was amazing. Um, everyone definitely will be guided to go ahead and follow you, keep up with you. You post so much knowledge and they'd be silly if they didn't. So thank you again. And this was great. Thank you so much. By the way, last question. What does your name mean? My name means apparently, according to my parents, it means like comes from the showish, the root of la lot to go up. Um, so yeah, that's what I've been told my whole life. Never heard the name before. I'm a fan. Thank you. They found it in a, in a baby name book. So uh, that's guess funny. else found that book. <laughs> All, right. All right. Thanks Thank for having me. Know. All right.